Well, good evening. Uh, like Mark said, my name is Luke Regstraw, and I know a majority of you all here, but if you don't know me, like you said, I've, I've been on staff with Campus Outreach the last eight years here at the University of Kentucky, and, and now an intern here at Tate's Creek, and uh, like Marshall said, I'm glad he said it, I, I do feel like family with you all, and so I'm, I'm really glad to be here tonight. I, if I'm being honest, though, I, I am coming in here heavy, and I feel a heaviness in being with you all this week. Every week of 2021, like Marshall said in his announcements, has been monumental in, in so many different ways. And that is coming off of a year last year with so many different hardships, like Marshall said. The country's hurting, our health, our relationships are hurting, and everyone that I come in contact with seems to be going through something major in their life. Even right before church tonight, a, a good friend sent a heartbreaking text, and just everyone is hurting right now, and I, I feel that, that heaviness, which is, is why I wanted to preach on Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Uh, we have in the, in the, on the screen Matthew eleven twenty five through 30 for context, um, but really what I'll be speaking primarily on is just the one verse, Matthew eleven twenty eight. And my hope is that this passage, if you are going through heaviness or feel the weight of this world right now, would be a great comfort to you. Because this scripture, Matthew eleven twenty eight, is the great passage of comfort in our Bibles. It's, and it, it's, it's comfort in the old sense of the word, not the new sense of the word. It's not a passage that will just put your mind at ease or maybe will help you relax more. This is a passage of comfort for strength, for resolve, for hope. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to God's word on the screen, starting in Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And this is the passage. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this evening. Thank you that you have not left us alone, but you have given us your word and we have hope. And we need it, Lord. We are a weary people. I'm a weary person, we do hurt, and we pray that you would be with us here again, that you'd use the power of your spirit and the power of your word to make this promise tonight come alive in our hearts. Do what only you can do, Lord, and do it again for us tonight. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Like I mentioned, we're now almost a month into the year 2021, and this was the year that was going to give us a brand new start. This is the year that the world has honestly been waiting for since last March. And like you probably predicted, everything is about the same, or some might even argue worse. I think most of us already realized that. We knew things weren't going to magically change just because the year struck midnight. In fact, last month I was out shopping the week before Christmas. I always, I always tend to find myself the week before Christmas trying to get all the gifts together. And the week before Christmas, of course, everything is gone in the stores. The shelves are empty. Everything had been picked over. Everything except in one section. 
At every store, if you go to their office supply section, you will find stacks upon stacks of 2021 yearly planners. And I bet if you still want one today, I can assure you that if you go after church, you can get one or five or 10 2021 yearly planners. The stores are full of them. Last year taught us that we have, we have learned our lesson on planning forever. And it's crazy to think that how many churches in January of last year rolled out their new vision, their new plans for the upcoming year and completely unaware of what was about to happen to them. But rest assured, I will not be offering you any new plans tonight. And there's two reasons for that. The first reason is I'm the guest here and an intern, and I can't imagine what the church would do if the guest intern started rolling out his plans for hope in 2021. That'd be absolutely ridiculous. But more importantly, our passage tonight offers us no new plans. The invitation of our passage is not in a plan, but in a person. Jesus invites us tonight, come to me. That is the great hope of our faith. The hope of Christianity in this new year, like every year, is not in new plans, but in a person that actually makes you new. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 has helped so many people throughout all ages find comfort and rest when these things could not be found in this world. And I want to help us know how tonight. I want to help us know how, after the hardships of 2020 and the craziness of 2021 so far, how is hope to be found? I've got three observations from the text. One, the problem that Jesus sees in us. Two, the promise that Jesus gives to us. And three, and finally, the person that Jesus is for us. I'll go through those one at a time. First, the problem that Jesus sees in us, and you see it there in verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus is offering us an invitation this evening. And you notice that the invitation is twofold. It's universal, meaning that he invites all to come to him. Everybody. Yet there is that one qualifier. All who labor and are heavy laden. Most translations use the more familiar language of weary and burdened. And in this way, Jesus points out the problem to us almost immediately. Jesus recognizes that people in this world have a great need. What is that need? Justin just sang it so well. They are carrying burdens. And those burdens are making them really, really weary. They're worn out. We might not use that same language very often to describe ourselves in day-to-day conversation, but we for sure feel it. Every time we scroll through social media, every time we lay our heads on the pillow at night, every time the alarm clock goes off in the morning, there seems to be this growing weariness in every single one of us. Where is this weariness coming from? What exactly are the burdens that Jesus is speaking to us tonight? There is no indication in the text what the burden actually is. Jesus does not just go on in description of what these burdens are. You can look ahead to Matthew 23, 4 where Jesus says the religious leaders are putting heavy burdens of their own laws on people that they cannot carry. So this could very well be a religious burden. But there seems to be more here, especially when you look at the context of Matthew 11. It's interesting to note that one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible about Jesus comes in the middle of great controversy about Jesus. And that's important. Jesus has just spent all of chapter 11 leading up to this verse in confrontation. He has been confronting his disciples and John the Baptist as they question who he is. 
They're asking him, are you really the Messiah or should we be looking for another? So he's confronting them about, yes, I'm actually him. He just got done confronting the lack of repentance of several cities where he did most of his miracles. He goes into these cities, he does his miracles, and they still won't repent. They still won't believe who he is. And the pressure is mounting to such a point on Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, that many believe that when he speaks these words, he also is a man of burden. So it's safe to say with all of that going on in Matthew 11 leading up to our text, the burden that Jesus is talking about, the problem that Jesus sees is that we are living life in a fallen world where both our sins and our suffering have left us laboring and really heavy laden. Or to put it more simply, Jesus is calling anyone this evening who has become weary with life's burdens. When he says all who labor, he means all who have need. Now, I don't think I've really had an easier time to prove this verse. Just look around. The year 2020 was the year of being weary and burdened. And the year 2021, like we've said so far, has also been the year of being weary and burdened. So I don't think I have to convince you that you have burdens this evening. You have them. You know you have them. But what I do have to convince you of is that you don't have to carry them. In fact, what Jesus is saying here is you cannot carry them. That's the problem Jesus sees. The people have burdens. Their sins, their suffering they're facing in the world, and they're trying to carry those burdens by themselves, and they cannot do it. I'll never forget when I was in college, I've been going to this church in Bowling Green. I went to WKU. I've been going to this church for a little over a year. My pastor at the time asked me to go with him one day on a hospital visit. I was confused why he asked me, but I figured it was just a regular hospital visit, seeing someone that has been sick. But on the way, my pastor Lance informed me that this was actually a deathbed visit. This man had been moved to hospice, and he didn't have very much longer to live. His wife had been going to our church for a while, but he had not wanted anything to do with any sort of religion. He was turned off to it. But she had asked Lance as a favor to visit and pray for him one last time before he passed. So Lance and I, we checked in the front desk. We went into the room. As you can imagine, a college student, I was scared to death. I still would be scared to death in that situation. We made small talk with him, asked how he was feeling. I mostly sat there in silence until eventually my pastor asked a dying man, how is your soul? To which he replied, it's fine. It's fine. But you should have seen this man's eyes. This man's eyes were not fine. This man's eyes carried the weight of the world in them. You see, this man had burdens, but for some reason or the other, He thought his burdens were his alone to carry. Those are the eyes that Jesus sees in this passage. I don't know all the burdens that you're carrying with you this this evening. In fact, it overwhelms me to even start thinking about that, to think about what individual burdens are going on in this room. The sins, the sufferings, the worries, the disappointments, the frustrations. I don't know them, but like Justin just saying, Jesus knows them. Jesus knows that you have burdens that you cannot carry and it is making you so weary. 
So the first question for us this evening is, just, is not just what are you carrying tonight, but why are you carrying it? Jesus' invitation is for all, but all those who are weary and burdened. Matthew eleven twenty eight has been such a great comfort for God's people because it tells us the truth. We have burdens that we cannot carry, and Jesus wants to carry them. So if the world promises us burdens, what does Jesus promise us? We've seen the problem. Now let's look at number two, the promise. The promise that Jesus offers to us, and you see it there again in verse 28. He says, I will give you rest. He then expands on it in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. The world gives us burdens. Jesus promises to give us rest. What exactly does he mean by this? It's important to note that Jesus does say rest for your souls. This is a different rest than the world's version of rest. And the world's version of rest is relentless right now. It is every new year. There, the new year offers us so many things to give us a better night's sleep, a more relaxed mind, a vacation away. Even my beloved Beaumont YMCA sent me an email this week that it was time for me to recharge and reset probably because I took a pretty substantial break from them over the holidays. And of course, all these things can provide real benefits to you. Of course they can. But have you noticed that even the best, longest vacations never take away the burdens? They might ease the burdens. They might distract you from the burdens. They might even make you forget the burdens for a time. But they can never take away the burdens which is why we often come back from vacation feeling like we need to take a vacation from our vacation. Don't make the mistake of putting 21st century ears on this text. When Jesus says he will give rest, he is not talking about relaxing, resetting, or even recharging. That's why in verse 29, he doesn't tell us to throw off all yokes, but to take on a different yoke, a better yoke, Jesus' yoke. The word Jesus uses here for rest could easily be translated as relief, revive, or even better yet, restoration. It's not just a rest from your labor that Jesus is is, is offering, but it's a strength for life. We get a picture of exactly what he means in the very next chapter of Matthew. It is no coincidence that Matthew uses chapter 12 to teach us about Sabbath, the day of rest. Matthew 12 is filled with Jesus' teaching on Sabbath. And in one of those stories in Matthew 12, you will find a man with a severely withered hand. His hand had atrophied, literally meaning lifeless, perhaps paralyzed from a disease that he suffered from. And Jesus tells that man, stretch out your hand, and when he does, the text says, it was restored, healthy, just like the other. And this is the picture of rest that Jesus gives. He not only takes the problem away from the hand, but restores the hand perfectly to health, just like the other. So when Jesus promises he will give you rest this evening, that's the picture he wants in your mind. Restoration. Not only taking away your burden, but giving health to your soul. And that can be a hard concept to grasp. How exactly is God's power made perfect, not in our strength, but in our weakness? How does that work? But you know, the ones that understand this the best is not me, but actually the older saints, the ones that have been walking with Jesus for a long time, especially in times of suffering. I'll give you just one example. 
Many of you might know the story of the Christian author Johnny Erickson Tata. If you don't know her story, it actually begins in tragedy. On June 30th, 1967, Miss Tata went swimming with her friends at a beach off Chesapeake Bay, and they didn't really check the depth of the water there. And without checking that depth, she dove in head first. And when she dove in, she had not come back up. Her friends rushed in, got her, took her to the local hospital where she received this life-changing diagnosis. She was paralyzed from the shoulders down at 17 years old. And her story is amazing in so many ways, how God has strengthened her through so much suffering, through so many burdens. And in one of her books, she writes about finally getting to be with her Savior, Jesus in heaven. And this is what she writes. I hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven and then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands, and I'll say, thank you, Jesus, and he will know what I mean because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship we shared in his sufferings. And I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. And then she says jokingly, you can please send that wheelchair to hell if you want. The weaker I was, the harder I leaned, the harder I leaned, the stronger I discovered you to be. Or if I could put that in the language of our passage tonight, the more burdens I had, the more I came to you, the more I came to you, the more rest I discovered you to be. When Jesus says, I will give you rest, that's what he's talking about. Listen, I love relaxation. I'm not good at it, but I love it. I love weekends. I love vacations. I'm even one of those crazy people that love New Year's resolutions. But there are some things that resolutions and the rest this world offers just can't do. They cannot forgive a sin-sick soul. They cannot bring peace to your guilty conscience. They can't undo some things that you have done. They can't bring some things that you have lost. They can't heal the aches of this world. They just can't. They can't end up giving rest to your soul, and your soul needs it. But Jesus can. He has come to give rest to the weary, and now there's nothing left between you and Him but to come. Which which leads us to my last point. How do we get this rest that we so desperately need? Jesus gives us rest by giving us himself. We've seen the problem. We've seen the promise. Now let's finally look at the person that Jesus is for us. Again, verse 28. The very first words of Jesus' invitation are, Come to me. And then he bookends that. He bookends that invitation by saying, I will give you rest. And the weight of this entire section of Scripture is on that I. In the Greek, it's, it's emphatic, literally reading, I, I myself, will give you rest. That is because the emphasis of this passage is not on rest necessarily, but rest found in Jesus. And that's very important. Are you starting to understand what Jesus is trying to get across in this invitation? The reason Jesus can take away our burdens the reason Jesus can give us rest is because Jesus has come to give us his very self. That is the key to this passage. 
And that is honestly what we can't afford to miss tonight. I thought about a lot of ways to apply this sermon this week. And honestly, what troubled me the most was when this promise is given throughout Scripture, we often reject it. I'll give you two examples. Jeremiah 6.16 Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Isaiah 30, 15, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Next verse, you are unwilling. The prophets are telling God's people to come to God, to rest in God, and they refuse. They are unwilling. They will not walk in it. And you come to the Gospels and you see more of the same. People are infuriated by Jesus. Like I said, Matthew 11, he's in constant confrontation, even with his disciples. And this is because instead of teaching the lesson like other teachers, Jesus said, I am the lesson. Instead of saying, here's how you get rest, Jesus said, I am the rest. Come to me. And that's the application of the text. Come to Jesus. So why didn't they come? Why do you and I refuse to come sometimes? The text actually gives us several very good reasons to come to Jesus. It could be a whole other sermon in and of itself. Verse 27 says, He alone has all authority. All things have been handed over to Jesus. Since He has all authority, He can do everything. He's not just willing, He's able Verse 27 also says that He alone can reveal, the God, reveal God the Father to us. He alone sh- can share that relationship as the Son of God can share that with us to make us sons and daughters of God. Two very good reasons to come to Jesus tonight. But I actually wanted to give you another one. The one that I haven't been able to stop thinking about and the one that I hope that you cannot stop thinking about. That will provide you the comfort you need going forward. Come to Jesus this evening because His heart is for you. Thomas Goodwin explains what I mean. Here's what he says. That which keeps people off is that they know not Christ's heart. They know not Christ's heart. The truth is He is more glad of us than we can ever be of Him. He that came down from heaven to die for you will meet you more than halfway as the prodigal's father is said to do. Oh, therefore come to Him If you knew his heart, you would come. If you knew his heart, you would come. And Jesus gives us that heart in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's easy for us to think that Jesus in all his glory and all his power and all his might and holiness, that he is no longer accessible to us. Yes, He offers us forgiveness in the cross, but closeness, intimacy with Jesus, that seems a little too far-fetched. And Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 again comes to tell us the truth. He wants us to come to Him. His heart is gentle and lowly for us. And Matthew will use the rest of this gospel to show us just how much His heart is for us. In Matthew 11, Jesus tells us his heart is gentle and lowly, but we get the full extent of what he means later on, actually, in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, that is the night before his death. 
where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And our great Savior, who is promising us rest, is found restless in that garden. Now let me be clear, of course Jesus is without sin. But no one can deny that here in the garden before his crucifixion, Jesus is in turmoil to the point that the gospel writers describe Jesus as troubled, greatly distressed, and even in agony. And we read these very words of Jesus. He says, my soul is sorrowful even to death. This is Jesus. This is the man that you all have spent all of Advent studying his attributes. This is the man who has faced storms and diseases and his friends' deaths and demons and even Satan himself. And he has so far not even flinched. So what is going on in this garden? Jesus tells us what's going on when he pleads with the Father, let this cup pass from me. His heart is burdened in that garden for what should burden our hearts tonight. This cup in the Old Testament symbolized the wrath of God that was being stored up for all the sins of His people. So the Father sends Jesus in His love for us. Jesus goes in His love for us to that great eternal burden to bear the wrath of God for His people. And on that cross, Jesus found death for His soul so you could come to Him tonight and find rest for yours. That is His heart. That is his heart, gentle and lowly for weary sinners like you and me. And so even though we are now in a new year, we really are still facing the same burdens of this world. Ryan Bingham, the singer-songwriter, might describe our situation the best in his song, The Weary Kind. He writes about the weariness of this world. Talking about the world, here's what he says. And this world ain't no place for the weary kind. And this world ain't no place to lose your mind. And this world ain't no place to fall behind. And Jesus in our passage would agree. Jesus would say, the world is no place for the weary. But I am. Jesus is the place for the weary and the burden, the heavy laden. That is why he has come. And because Jesus has come tonight, you can now come to him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, for I myself will give you rest. Let's pray to that end. Lord, we we need you. Help our hearts see what your heart is like. It It might make us feel uncomfortable. We might not really believe it's true. But you want us to come, Lord. And I pray that you'd help us do that. Help our hearts to see your heart for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.